0: following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: I'll tell a little story first. Many of you guys know I, I spent a couple summers working at a camp up in New Hampshire and uh, a few of those summers, I had the job of driving boats, so I drove ski boats and a pontoon boat and um probably next to ministry that's my if I couldn't do ministry, that's the job I would want to do um I got really tan and it was good it was fun and um so this camp we we pulled you know campers and families and and that was our, our regular job is to pull them and, and to... uh Well, not literally, the boat pulled them. Um, But uh, one of the weeks during the summer was water ski week. So we had about 14 kids who would come, uh, and they were kind of separated from the rest of the campers. And they basically lived at the beach and in our boats, and we pulled them all week long. And um, there was a girl, and her name was Erica, and I'll never forget her. Because she had never water skied. I don't even think she's ever been in a boat prior to her week at camp. And uh, we, ha- we have some, some rules. And they might sound harsh, but they work. And one of the rules is, if you lose a ski, you have to put it back on. And I don't know if you've ever water skied before, but the first time trying to put a ski on in the water... Because it takes too much time to get in the boat, put the ski on, get back. It's hard. And it was really hard for her. And then our other rule was don't let go of the rope until your face hits the water. Because what tends to happen is like as soon as you start to come up, you panic and you let go. Where if you just would hold on for just a few more seconds, everything will balance out. You'll get out of the choppy water and you'll be skiing. Well, Erica was scared of everything. She was scared of the water. She was scared that a fish might eat her. Uh, she was scared of how fast we were going. And uh, w- we're not going fast. I mean, if you're a first-time skier on two skis, we're going maybe 15 miles per hour, if that. And that's for, like, an adult. And She's a little girl. So she panicked all the time. Uh, it was always, a, and you know, every time she would get pulled, she'd let go of the rope or she'd come forward and she lost skis every time. And it, it was it was a, a time of patience for all of us involved, the boat drivers, the ski instructors. And we honestly thought that she was going to be the first girl we couldn't get up on skis. Now, normally, by the end of the week, we have people slalom skiing, even if they've never skied before. Alright, So we get them up on one ski by the end of the week, and it just was not looking like it's going to happen for her. And she worked and worked and worked. And finally, Thursday night, during our evening session, she pops up out of the water. But it lasted maybe three seconds. And she hit the water so hard. And, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you know ski boats. I basically got a Corvette engine pulling a boat, so it's not quiet. But I heard her smack the water, and I'm just like, oh. So I was bringing the boat around to see how she's doing. I'm waiting to see her with tears. And as I come around, she has this huge grin on her face because she got out of the water and she was ready to go. And I was, I thought she was going to be bloodied or something. So we say, okay, let's go quick before the sun gets down. So we, you know, toss it a line, and we get all straightened up, and and we pull her. And she gets up, you know, she's bouncing around, but she gets up and, and, and we're, we're pulling her as the sun is setting. And it was actually pretty beautiful watching the sunset and see this girl who I never thought would ski in her life was now skiing. And um, she was excited, you know, Friday morning when we get down to the beach after breakfast, she couldn't wait to, to go again. And her parents came to pick her up Saturday morning and, and uh, she made sure to find me. Um, our jobs on Saturday morning because that's when Saturday afternoons when the new campers and new families come. We pulled the boats out of the lake because they needed the oil change and cleaned up and everything. So normally we don't do anything in the water on Saturday morning, but she begged me, Kurt, please, please, please take me and my parents out. I want to show them. So I talked to uh, Robin, who was my supervisor and said, can I go? And she said, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, She couldn't wait to show her parents that she could ski. And I'm towing her around, and finally, you know, she gets into the boat, and I'm getting ready to start to drive back to to the docks. And and she said, no, 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 wait, 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 Kurt. My parents have to try it. (laughs) Luckily, I mean, I found out her dad had skied, you know, in college. But I mean, this is 20-plus years or something since then. You know, so... We were out there a while, but everybody got up, and we came into the dock and, and even though I had to you know then do all this extra work, which would normally probably be done by now, and I was just starting it, it I was fine with that because she she just had such an amazing time that she needed to share it with her family that they they, they needed to see this, they needed to experience it for themselves, so it was it was worth it was worth the time. Uh, I'll never forget this girl. And, and and my hope is that as we kind of go through our, our, our lesson today, that you will kind of see how this story relates. I'm not just telling a fun ski story. So um, grab your Bibles and, and you can open up to 1 John chapter 4. And as you're doing that, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about this. Um, not only when Steve's gone, we work out of... Uh, what do we work out of? I'm totally blanking. Colossians. <laughs> Woo. It's going to be one of those times. Um, I just, I don't know. I didn't think I had enough time to prepare for that. So I, I was going to use a lesson that I used before. And then after working on it for about two hours, I realized that that wasn't going to work either. And so I basically made a whole new lesson using some some other stuff that I've used in the past. But so So John... Who, who's an apostle of Jesus, is writing this to the church in Asia Minor, which is uh, modern-day Turkey now. And, and the letter is written to the Christian churches out there, challenging them to exhibit obedience, sound teaching and doctrine, and love for one another. And the, the, the few verses we're going to look at today, their focus is, is, is how, as believers, since we are knit together with God... we should should not only produce love for Him as our Redeemer, but love for others as well. I think oftentimes the challenge that we as Christians have is is we're willing to thank God and we're willing to praise Him for Him reaching out and saving us, but then we put that aside and think everything else we do as a Christian now has to be on our own power. And then... I don't know. If you're like me, you think you can do it, and when you fall short, you have an endless supply of excuses. It's never your fault, or if this was different, or you know, whatever the case was. And, 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 and I think of, again, that girl Erica, and she could have had a million excuses. And the first day she did. The skis were too big. I can't keep them straight. I'm too far away from the boat. The water's cold. And it's, it's the same. We're, we're going to be looking at, at, at loving one another and we, we have just as many excuses, if not more. So my prayer is that as we go through this passage, you will become realigned with God and that you will see that He is the one who will unveil a new life for you. One that is lived for Him and for the love of others. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I just thank you for this morning that we have to gather together, brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you will be with us as we read through this passage, Lord. That you will give me the ability to speak clearly, to to just do justice to your holy word. Lord, I, I pray that you will work in the hearts and minds of those sitting out here and prepare them. In your Son's name, amen. Hey, I want to point out just one more thing. Oh, Elsa left. I was going to tell her if I make a mistake, if she can fix it like you did that one more. (laughs) Um, The first time I got to go through this sermon was this morning at 8. So I don't know if it's going to be long or short. So if you want long... If you want short, keep your fingers crossed. (laughs) So, 1 John chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So I'm going to give you some equations. No observations, just equations today. And if you're a math person... Bear with me. My dad was a math teacher and I'm not. If you're not a math person, that's awesome. I'm your friend. <laughs> so the, the first equation, and, and we're going to kind of break down these few verses into three different sections. And the first one is, it deals with verse 18. And it, it, this is the simple equation. Gospel equals Transformation. Gospel equals transformation. You see, the gospel is is where God shows His perfect love. And the gospel is where it all begins. I wasn't a math person, but I really enjoyed physics. And and Newton's first law uh, of motion is that an object at rest stays at rest until an external force acts upon it see by yourself you're not going to change there's not going to be any transformation it's it's only through some other force and oftentimes when we when we look for transformation we try to find it in other places or in other people or a 12 step program or whatever the case is and and these by themselves are, are just limited It's only through Christ that transformation is going to occur. I'm not saying don't go to people and, and ask them to help you, and, and I'm not going to cut down on, I'm not a big 12 step, or, you know, if, if I can do it in three, why do I go for a 12? If I can do it in one, which according to the scripture, I believe I can do it in one, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the God who has created all things. To the God who knows me better than anybody else, better than I know myself. He is the external unbalanced force. And it is through his transforming gospel message that we as believers are changed. In the case of today's passage, it's the gospel that transforms us to live not only like Christ, but to love like Christ does. We're told that this this perfect love casts out fear. And I'm wondering if you've ever really experienced that. Colossians tells us that, um, that because of the love of God, He has pulled us out of the world. The kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of light. Because of God's love, he has done that for us. How does that happen? That happens through the gospel. How do we fear and move away from it? Move away from fear and, and, and punishment or wrath? How do we move away from that? We move away from it through the gospel message. And in just a few minutes, I'm gonna I'm gonna take here to kind of explain what I mean by the gospel. This is a real brief overview. Um, here we go. Gospel in a nutshell. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always existed and always will exist and lived in perfect community. God had no need to be met that wasn't being met within the Trinity, but created the heavens and the earth. For his pleasure and out of an outflowing of his love and grace. He creates man and woman who had an opportunity to live with God without sin, to fellowship with him. He created man to worship him and live in joy. But well, we all know how that kind of worked out. I always wonder how long they lived that way. You the know, Bible doesn't say like two weeks later, Eve was walking. But they've they've sinned. They decided that they wanted to be God. And because of the fall, we now face the consequences of that fall, of that sin and that's death. We're under the wrath of God. But once again, it was God who chose to redeem. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to. But He chose to, out of His mercy... You see, all of us are going to die one day. We were talking about that in Sunday school. No one wants to talk about it, but guess what? It's going to happen. And when you die, every person will face judgment. But because of His love, He sent His Son. He sent Christ. Jesus Christ came fully man, fully God, born of a virgin, lived without sin. We all know this, right? Though He was tempted in every way, He didn't succumb to it. He went to the cross and willingly took on our sin. Or as the scripture tells us, He became sin. He died in my place for my sin, to pay my debt. God did that for me. Three dies... Laid in the tomb. Three days later, he is risen. Conquering death, sin, Satan. Ascends to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all. He will return the same way that he left. He will punish those who do not know him and call him Savior. And will bless and give an inheritance to those who do. Those who do not believe will face eternal punishment for their sins. And we will receive the greatest reward, Christ, to live with him forever. And we are saved because of repentance and faith in this gospel message. So how does it, how does it transform us? This is always the fun part. Flip over to Titus. Keep your finger in there, but right? flip over to Titus chapter three, uh, verses uh, four through seven. It says, "But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness." But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, uh, This is is always the challenge for me when I'm talking with people about, well, well, how does the gospel do that? i don 't have i can 't explain it any better than than it 's explained here. God just does it he 's given us this this spirit to dwell in us when when we are willing to accept this gospel message when our heart is softened to it and we come to him and say we can 't do this anymore, and the spirit comes in and, and renews us. And, and I don't know how to explain how it happens, but it happens because it's happened to me, it's happened to my wife, it's happened to, to, to a lot of people here, and, and I can't deny that because I know what some people were like prior to knowing God and what they're like now. I, I, I think an, an interesting thing here is that the Titus tells us that we receive the renewing of the Holy Spirit and if you, if you look just back, look back to the first John passage, if you, if you go back just a few verses from where we started in verse 13, it says that because we abide in God, He has given us the Spirit. And then in, in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that, that we don't have a spirit of slavery that leads to fear, but we have the Spirit of adoption. And, and I don't know about you, but if, if I'm part of God's family, what, what should I fear? If, if, if that's my father, and he's going to take care of me better than I could ever take care of my own kids, what do I have to fear? If, if, if you have questions about this gospel, and I, and I know I'm kind of blowing past it in a way, Please come and talk to me. Or, or when Steve comes back, or an, an elder, or, or just talk to somebody. There, there, there's a Puritan, his name's Richard Sibbs, and, and he says, um, Outside of Christ, God's terrible. If you're outside of Christ, God's terrible. Because you're still under the wrath. You're, you're, you're under this judgment. And please come and talk to me if, if, if you have questions. or. Wow. Let's look at verse 19. This is a verse that everybody knows. You probably memorized it as a kid. You can quote it. But in verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. Which brings me to our, our second equation. Transformation equals love. You following me here? Transformation equals love. Why do we love? Come on, answer. Why do we love? That was kind of weak. It sound like the Sunday school class this morning, everybody's half asleep. Why do we love? Thank you, Angie. True, honest, no hidden—true, hidden, uh, honest, no hidden agenda. Christian love is a gift given to us. It doesn't just come out of me naturally; it's given to me. Naturally, I, I, I don't desire to be like Christ, let alone love like Him. Proverbs nineteen three: Our hearts rage against the Lord. Genesis 6 5, every inclination of man's heart is only of evil. So if the gospel equals transformation and the transformation equals love, follow the equation here. What's love equal? Come on, math people, I see Eric, he's helping me out. <laughs> Gospel equals transformation, and transformation equals love, then love is equal to the gospel. As we trust this gospel, not only does it transform us, but it also grows us in love. We're able to love more. Are you allowing the gospel to transform you? Because you can't do it yourself, but it's necessary. I mean, if it wasn't necessary, John wouldn't spend so much time talking about love. If it's not happening, there might be some people who say, you need to evaluate where you are in your relationship with the Lord. I might go a step further and say, if the gospel isn't transforming you to love, do you have a relationship with the Lord? I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. John points it out in the same book, in 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 chapter one, verse nine. He 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 says something. I, I don't have memorized. I could flip there, but I'm not going to. He's basically saying you're going to work towards this, even though you're not perfect. This is how you're supposed to be. We're not. We're not. I don't think there's anybody in this church here who will say you need to be perfect all the time because you're going to fall short. But when you fall short, do you try to fix the problem yourself or do you go back to the gospel and let it transform you? Galatians chapter 5 tells us that if we continue to live in our old ways, we're actually going to destroy one another in the church instead of loving one another. And we've all experienced that. If you've been in the church any length of time, there's, there's been some sort of conflict somewhere where love wasn't brought into it. And hopefully eventually through reconciliation, through prayer, through, through, uh, accountability, through realizing I'm trying to put myself over a fellow brother or sister, it was solved through love. Transformation truly equals love. They're proportionate to one another. As one increases, so the other one does with it. The more I'm transformed like Christ, the more I love like Christ. The more I love, the more I'm transformed. They, they go together. And the more I, I open myself up to this gospel, the more I notice myself I love. As I grasp firmly and understand... What this love did for me, the better I see who God is, the more I open myself up to love. In all situations, in all circumstances. Maybe you don't have this problem, but, but I sometimes struggle with my wife. If you're a wife, that's not your problem. Flip-flop it. But, um, or my kids. my kids. Uh, I, 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 have, I struggle with them sometimes. I, I get angry or I don't want to show love. Like, this is the seven millionth time I've told you not to do that. Why should I show love this time? And usually if I trace it back far enough, what I see is I'm outside of the Word or I'm outside of willing to put my faith in, in the Gospel. And when that happens, I tend to love less. And just spending a little bit of time, things instantly change. I'm convicted by the Spirit that's supposed to be renewing my heart and that I go back and apologize to my son. Saying, you know what? I should love you, even though you've done this seven million times. Because I've done the same thing to God ten billion times. We love because He first loved us. This is something I want to point out with this, this passage this verse here: Who do we love because He first loved us? This is the hard part. I'm used to smaller groups where I want answers. <laughs> Who do we love because He first loved us? Who? God? Jesus? Good Sunday school answer over here. Who else? Each other. Each yeah. other. He. Paul, oh, Paul. wrong guy. John. He. He leaves this open. why does he leave it open I don't know because I'm lost on my notes no he leaves it open because it because we don't love god just because god loved us we love god because he loved us we I love whoever it is who's putting him in front of me because god loved him we we tend to 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 focus like I'll I love God because He first loved us, but I won't love you until you first love me. That's not the passage. It's we love because He first loved us. Not we love whoever first loves us. You know, if that's the case, our kids are in deep trouble. I mean, besides when my wife tells Zion, our youngest one, Go tell Daddy you love him. I don't think he's ever said it. It's, it's, it's not always easy to do it because, I mean, when we, when we think about this, it in some ways, I want to say to God, God, you're God, you're perfect, and I'm struggling to love you, and you want me to love this person? Do you know this person, God? Have you talked to them recently? Give me someone else. Uh, not that person, though. Yeah, that person. Okay, you know. And 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 we have these these excuses. Maybe it's your husband. Um, you know. Maybe it's your kids, your father, your mother, your sister, your in-laws, the woman in your community group, the family down the street. Maybe it's just the family down your row right now. That you're just like, someone else, God. Give me someone else. Why that person? Who's the why person in your life right now? Maybe you have multiple why people. But who's the person when you're like, I'm supposed to love them because you love me, but why are you giving me this person right now? Because if you're like me... You're just going to continue to justify why it's okay not to love them. But there's no justification. I I, I read the whole book a couple times. and And I read the other books that John wrote. And he never says, you know, we love those who are really nice to us because God loved us. Or only love them three times. And when they spit in your face the third time, turn away and go find someone else who's more easier to love. Um, love is sacrificing I mean that's the gospel if the gospel's the greatest love ever shown God who you know we use the verse that uh, no greater love than this than a man laid down his life for a friend God didn't do that God laid down his life for his enemies that's what you were if you're not a believer now that's what you still are I, it, it's it's sacrificing. I think of the, the trip that we went on uh, to India um, a couple summers ago. It seemed like a really long time ago, but it was only last summer, right? Um, we would be in some of these churches that were so small, or the, the pastors who just live on not much money, and they would invite us over for these meals. And they would. We ate more food there than I've eaten at most places here. Because they they just loved us. They wanted to encourage us. And I'm thinking, you have nothing, and and how am I showing love to you by sitting and eating with you? They they opened up their homes. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm going to pick on you for a sec, but. Sarah had, um, this food, the food's spicy there. I don't know if you've ever eaten Indian food, and, and some of it was just given Sarah a little bit. But they would be like, Well, how about this? And then disappear and come back, Well, how about this? And now that, you know, they cook like 70 more things just to please Sarah out of love. You know, if Sarah came to my house, I'd be like, Oh, well, here's some bread. We got butter, I think. I don't know. Did we go shopping? But they were willing to do anything for love, for, for even to us, who we had so much more than they had. And it wasn't just out of hospitality, which you might say, oh, India is a hospitality culture. No. They truly wanted us to see that they loved us. You I came there to pray and encourage them, and I left more prayed for and encouraged than i probably did for them they 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 sacrificed so easily for us where i would say you know you normally have a really nice car go in the one without air conditioning see what that's like i love you and it it, it it's it, it was it was just I don't know, I've been changed by it. I I can't wait to go back. Um, They were truly being transformed by the gospel. And the more that they were transformed, the easier it was for them to love. Because the most important thing to them was no longer themselves, but the gospel. Other people became more important than themselves. Verse 19 basically leads us right into the next point here. It says, We love. We love God. We love our family. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love the person we meet on the street. We love our enemy. Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God... And hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the gospel equals transformation. Transformation equals love. And then our, the last point is love equals death. So let's, let's, let's walk through our equation now. Alright, I basically did. So what's the gospel equal way over here now? Death. Because if gospel equals transformation and transformation equals love and love equals death, if you go all the way back, you could say the gospel equals death. Do you think of that? Is that ever what pops into your head? Love and death hand in hand? You know, maybe you had a marriage, you know, until death do us part. Or, you know, man, that girl just loved that toy to death. What this passage is saying here is, as, it, as, it, as it's pulling into the, the, these last two verses, is that love isn't just for you. You selfish people. How can you think that me, God, the love I give you is just for you? It's not. I praise God daily for the sanctification process because I've hated people. There have been people I have hated And I sat and gave millions of reasons why. They did this to me. They said that. I came and tried to seek forgiveness, but then they just did this. They deserve to be hated. And the funny part is, is as I was saying those things, oftentimes it was in prayer. And I would end saying, you know, I love you, Lord. Please, you know, help me to have a good night's sleep. Amen. Don't forget to get back at those people. You know, like, we do it all the time. And I, I, love, I love the passage in James where it talks about how you can't praise God and curse your brother. Just like you can't, you can't have fresh water mixed with salt water. Because as soon as you mix those things together, you no longer have fresh water. So your praises to God are limited and diminished and corrupted if you're also cursing your brother or hating them. There's no option here. None. John's pretty straightforward. He says this is from God. It's a commandment from him. You must. I always hated when my parents said that. You must take out the garbage. You must clean your room. You must be nice to your sister. Because I knew if I wasn't, not only was I breaking a rule of the house, but something was going to come. Depending on the age, it was spanking, soap in the mouth, whatever the case is. Do do people still do soap in the mouth? That's legal now, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there, 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 there's no option here. We try to always find options when we deal with God. It's like we we talk to people that there's absolutes with God, except when it's coming to me. Now there's not absolutes because I need to justify why it's fine for me to do this, say this, want this, be okay, not doing these things. But, but you have to, you have to do it. So how do we love our brothers? How do we love our sisters? This is where death comes in. You have to crucify yourself daily. You have to put to death your sinful desires. Pastor Steve talks about grabbing hold of your thoughts and submitting them to the gospel. That's not easy to do. Especially if you're like me, that, that part in the brain that like, thoughts, process, have to go through this little channel and then you speak them. The channel's broken in me. It's just like I think it and it's out. So it's really hard for me at times to grasp, take hold of my thoughts and, and put it to the gospel and, and say, that's not worthy. I shouldn't even be thinking these things. But we, we have to do these you have to kill off your selfish will, your earthly desires. You have to see that God's will is perfect and even though at times you might not think so, it's actually full of love. He wants what's best for you. Okay, listen, listen carefully here. I say this to my kids all the time. I'll even lean forward like I do to my kids. Having all the money in the world isn't what's best for you. Having the nicest toys, cars, houses isn't what's best for you. Living a life of ease isn't what's best for you. Being the most popular kid in school Guess what? That's not what's best for you. You know what's best for you? God's glory. His honor. Not yours. Not the things you can hold on to and say, Look at me. Everybody loves me because I have this. When the opportunity arises for you to to, to love, what bubbles to the surface? What ceases you from executing love towards that person. Don't, 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 don't try to hide those bubbles. Examine them. Because those things that are bubbling up often are, are sins. And, and, and I, I've made a list of a couple of them that pop up into my head. Is I think I know better than God. You can't really want this person loved, God. I know them better than you. You know, or, or we fear man. We want, we want them to please, be pleased with us. So I'm willing not to love these people because you don't like them either. Or we wonder if God's really in control. Like, if I'm loving this person and I help them, what, what are they going to do with it? I mean, I, the perfect example, and we talked about this a couple months back, uh, you know, w- w- the homeless people that we meet, what runs through your mind when they're asking for money? Not they're just going to use it for drugs or booze. But, but again, coming back, like, where in the passage does it say, only love when you know the outcome that it's going to be? But you think you know Better. You think you have a better idea how things are going to happen. Or, or you, you're just like, why even love them? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. It's a waste of my time. It's work and it's not easy. But God calls us to love, not to decide what we should and should not do. Loving our brothers and sisters doesn't mean that, that you always give them what he or she wants. I think that's a key point here. If you have kids, you've known, you know this one. It's really hard to explain to um my son the reason I'm taking this from you or the reason I'm not letting you do this is because I love you. He just doesn't get it yet. My kids don't get it. And it's hard because you see that that, that they're hurt and and I, I I, I wanted to give this big, uh, huge example of this uh, from my own life, but I figured it might be better if Jesus did it. So um, you don't have to turn to it. I'll just read it for you. But, but in uh, John, right? So we're first John, if you jump to the book of John, John chapter 11 is where you find the story of Lazarus, and a lot of us know that story, and, um, but I think oftentimes, you, you don't really know the story. So, you know, Jesus is doing his thing, he's hanging out with his disciples and, you know, preaching and teaching and, and, uh, a messenger is sent to Jesus from Lazarus' sisters because Lazarus is sick and dying. So you, you, you can picture, you know, uh, the messenger comes running up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, 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 Jesus your friend Lazarus. Hold on, hold on a second. Okay, Lazarus. You know, you, you know the sisters and the, the hair and and. Okay, he's he's sick, and he's not just sick; he's dying. And Jesus says in, in um, in verse four, he says, "This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it." And I can and, and when I picture the scene, I can be like imagining the messenger saying. Great, that means you're going to heal him. Let's go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Wait, what? Wait, what? What did you just say? Because what's he say after that? Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. But Jesus, you just said it wasn't going to end in, in, in death. Like... He's dying. We know you can fix him. We've seen it. We've heard. We believe. Come on. You know, when he's sitting there, you know, here day one's going by. He's like, how about now? Change your mind? Day two. And finally, Jesus decides after two days later, and even says, he tells this thing to, to the disciples, and they're like, what? And Jesus like, he's dead. Okay, let's go. You get it now? He died. And here's why. And they go, and and I think oftentimes we so focus on that, that that he resurrected Lazarus, that we forget that because he loved them, he let Lazarus die. Why? I I, I don't get it. He didn't get it, and he even says Why? He says why in verse 4. He says, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He knew that people were going to be there mourning. He knew what he was going to do when he showed up at the tomb. He knew that the people there knew the only person who can raise people from the dead is God. Jesus wanted the Finkelsteins. That's, that was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That was her last name. He he wanted the Finkelsteins to know that in him is life. In him, there's abundant life. Whether he raised him now or raised him later, in him, through him, there's life. He did it because He loved them. He, he, he did it because He loved them. It wasn't easy. If you read through the passage, you find out He cries a couple times. It hurt Him to see that they were hurt, but He did it because He loved them. The same thing needs to be done of us. If I love you enough, am I going to do what's not easy for you and half the time, it's not easy for me to do either. If I truly love you, I'm going to kill my comfort. And know, you know what, I'm going to do this because I love you and I know you're not going to like it. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because what's important to me no longer is my comfort. What's important to me no longer is that you think I'm such a great pastor or father or whatever the job is that you have. That's not important to me anymore. What's important to me is that I can show you Christ's love. That hopefully I'm an example of the gospel. Love, love may so offend that it actually leads to physical death. And we, we in the American church, we don't talk about that. Some, some quick examples, some of them you know, some of them you might not. Uh, Jim Elliott was a missionary. Him and four other missionaries died doing what? Going to bring the good news to those who don't know. There were, there were these men of God who were missionaries in Turkey. They were actually disfigured and cut into pieces by the people they were preparing to have a Bible study for. Uh, in July, in Asia, three pastors were put to death. In India, there are wives and daughters who are harassed, raped, and even killed because they're Christians. The apostles, Jesus Christ, all these people were trying to show and share the greatest love there is and how does the world treat them? The outcome of their loving actions was death. These people were willing to put aside themselves because loving equals death. Does it mean you're going to physically die? I don't know. It might not for you. But it does mean that you have to die to yourself. It does mean you have to say, I need to stop exalting me over everyone else. I share this with 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 the kids in the youth group, with with, with my own kids, with, with people like the biggest struggle I have is that I'm God to myself. You don't know it, but whatever you're thinking right now, I probably know the better way of doing it. It it's I have to kill that every day. In every conversation with my kids, I have to say, you know what? They're not going to learn if I just tell them. If I love them, they need to learn it. I I have to be willing to do that. So has the gospel transformed you that you're willing to sacrifice yourself to die daily to yourself? Has the gospel so radically changed your life that when the world looks at you, They're confused. That's a challenge I need to repeat to myself daily. Am I more like the world or am I more like the gospel? Am I more worried about my comfort and what I want than willing to love? Am I willing to kill my desires, my pride, because I love others and the Lord more than myself? Am I allowing love to increase by trusting and hoping in the transformation? Maybe maybe you're still at ground zero here, and, and the reason you're there is because there's been no real transformation, because you're still kind of like, I don't know about this whole gospel thing, I know I'm supposed to love but it's not happening It's it's not going to happen by yourself. You can't do it. You cannot do it by yourself. You need to believe. You need to come and say It's the gospel that's going to transform me. It's this new life that's imparted on me. It's not I who live anymore. It's Christ who I live through. He lives. So the challenge is to to think of these three equations, which really is one big equation. Gospel equals transformation. Transformation. Transformation equals love. Love equals death. And I, I, my prayer is that you'll be challenged by these things. My hope is that you don't just see the gospel as a safety net, as a get out of hell free card. Because if so, I don't know what gospel you're looking at. Because you're missing out on so much. If you just think of the gospel as, great, I don't have to go to hell anymore. The gospel is almost more of, of a manifesto to a new life lived for love and for the Lord and for the betterment of others at the expense of ourself. And that might not sound like an exciting life to you, but it is. Until you experience it, You won't fully understand that. The more I die to myself, I feel like the better my life goes. And I don't mean like, hey, I have a great job now because I died to myself. But like, I truly don't desire those things anymore. And half of my frustrations and struggles were always caught up in that stuff. I find joy in the Lord because He's there wherever I am. Because I have a hope in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I just thank you again for this day, this chance that we have to come together. Lord, there is power in the message, in the good news that you have given Lord, we have been challenged in this passage to love because you loved us. To love all people at all times in all situations. Lord, I just prayed, pray, pray that you will transform our hearts, Lord. That it is no longer us who are living, but you who are living through us. Lord, I pray for those here who who maybe still have questions about these things, that, that they will be bold enough to ask them. Lord, you loved us when we were still your enemies. And I pray that we can love our enemies as well. In your Son's name, Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.